0: The Known World broadcast presents the Stryon Atlanti, an original series of myths and stories based on the awards granted by the crown of the Kingdom of Atlantia. Chapter 2 The Kraken. Cuen was king, and thus the coffers were full, and strong was Atlantia in that season. Atlantean nets were full of fine fish, and the ships that departed the king's waters left laden with the bounty of Atlantia's fields and rivers. Trade was established with far lands and alliances formed against common foes. And it would be in this time, though, that the good King Coo MacDage McDage would meet his match in a queen he could not woo. That is for later, though. For now let us speak of a day when Coon, and thus Atlantia, was called south to war. It would be a hard march to reach the front lines of the Gulf Coast in the far southlands of what was then Meridiae's. So ships were sent ahead, so that weapons and provisions would be awaiting the king and his chivalry when they arrived at our allies' door. As it is still today, Atlantia's knights were giants of blood and iron. Bedford, Oldcastle, Tremaine... Askelson, and more, men whose very names shook the spines of those who dare oppose them. Danger pursued our army every step of the way south, and as a result, the king was ushered ahead in the company of the squires of his closest men, the knights of Atlantia staying behind, fighting to keep their sovereign safe. Upon arriving at the Gulf shore, Cuin expected to be greeted with his ships, bearing weapons, foodstuffs, horses, and fresh men, but the ports in Meridian stood empty that day, and worry hung heavy on Coen's brow. His night still days away, he turned to the band of squires that had brought him safely to their allies' hold. The senior among them, a less than a giant of a man called Bors, swore to his king that he and his men would scour the shoreline and find what had become of the ships. And so they did. No sign found they of Atlantea's seabound treasure. Instead. They found strange sailors of a distant land who barely spoke the tongue of Atlantia washed up and wasted on the shore. These stammering men told of a sea turned to blood by a black shadow. They told of ships boarded, taken, and burned of a sigil that screamed horror across their now shattered minds. The Kraken? They ranted, bigger than your ships, bigger than the blue king's ships, big enough to block out the sun. Surrounded, all around the sea is not safe. All, all is lost. All is lost. Bors Bowden and the brave red belts of Atlantia returned to their king, told him of the maddened sailors and of the ship bearing, apparently a kraken sigil, and asked for their king's blessing to board an ally's ship and go to find the pirates, burn them where they were anchored, and return with Atlantia's bounty. Filled with pride at the valor of these not-yet-knights, Kuin gave his blessing, and with a borrowed ship, the squires of the azure throne sailed into the setting sun to bring home their monarch's war fund. Days passed. Man by man, the mighty chivalry of Atlantia arrived on the shore, battered from the constant battle and the long journey south. They asked after their squires. Cuin faced his men and told them of the valiant mission and how it had been days since they had sailed forth and he feared them lost. Enraged at the idea that such young and bold Atlantean warriors be taken from them so soon, Cuin and his knights boarded a second ship and set course after the young squires. The horrors of the Gulf War raged around the brave Atlantean knights as they made their way across far waves in search of their lost war sons and the treasures of Atlantia, and after six days at sea, Coen looked across the bow of his borrowed ship through the morning mist to see a sight he did not expect. Jutting from the sea rose a circle of massive stones the size of castle walls and within that circle sat every missing Atlantean craft, including the squire's borrowed ship. Completely befuddled by this, Coen was about to order his crew to drop anchor, when from out of the mist came a massive shadow of a monstrous ship black in hull and sail. This, thought King Coen, it must be the Kraken the stranger spoke of. We must rally, save our boys and the... D- but before Kuhn could stir a foot to seek a foe, the decks of the ships were suddenly manned by the squires and the crews of the stolen ships, but they were different somehow. They moved with unnatural grace, leapt from deck to seastone, back to mast like the heroes of ancient myth. Kuhn saw Bors Bowden lead three young squires as they flung themselves into the sea, swam across the divide to the massive incoming ship, scale its side, and begin to take heads as they tore through the black-clad warriors manning the phantom ship. As that vessel began to flag, a second and then a third ship emerged from the mist, all bearing straight for the circle of stones and the Atlantean treasure, just as before. Atlantean men took to jumping, climbing, scaling, and killing with unnatural grace and speed as the water around the ship began to churn and roil as the sails of all three ships began to burn and the waters bobbed with the corpses of the fallen. A fourth and final ship emerged from the fog. A massive bulk of black-painted hull and even blacker sails, its cannons at the ready. Kuhn called for his knights to disembark, to do whatever they could against whatever was coming. At that moment though, time slowed. The wind grew suddenly still. The enormous pirate ship loomed, but before a single shot could be fired or line could be thrown, the surface of the sea ruptured with the force of Poseidon's own roaring voice. Enormous golden tentacles shot forth from the briny froth Ropey links as thick as tree trunks wrapped around the pirate's great black beast, crushing timbers, and began pulling it into the depths. Screams echoed as men tried to leap clear and swim free, but smaller strands of golden sinews snared them and dragged them into the embrace of the bloody sea. The men of Atlantia retreated to their ships as all watched as the massive pirate dreadnought collapsed on itself under the crushing strength of this impossibly huge creature and was pulled below. Kuan and his knights stood awestruck. No sooner had the last of the sails of the Taken vessel sunk beneath the surface than the Queen of the Kraken, attended by her largest sons, rose into her full and terrifying height before King Kuhn of Atlantia and his assembled chivalry. Her voice slipped into Kuan's mind, as the voice of such creatures do, and spoke to him, one monarch to another. Land King. I thank you for the rich gifts of tribute you have sent me here in my place of spawning. I thank you for the gold and gems and spices and grain, but I am puzzled. What use have I for such things? I had excused your ignorance because, after all, you are an air breather and we know how you people are. But then, oh, then you sent me these. The queen gestured the tentacle that dwarfed the king's ship at the assembled red belts. Especially this one, said the queen as she wrapped a tentacle around a young boar's boden and bore him gently to kneel before his stunned and silent king. These are a tribute worthy of a queen. Such courage and skill. They took my blessing and the magic of this place and defended my children like champions until they hatched. You see, those black sails have been stealing my young for years, trying to breed our kind for their own uses, and it never ends well. So thank you, my royal cousin. But now our spawning season has ended, and we shall return to the mysteries below. So you may have them, and your other tributes, back. Before I go, though, I would reward my champions. I have asked them about the belts they wear and what they signify, and they explained to me that they were not yet found worthy to wear a king's mark of white. But I think they are more than worthy. Bear the mark of a queen. As the queen spoke, one of her smaller children, the size of a small wagon, heaved a mighty stone chest onto the deck of Kuan's ship and it sprung open. Inside lay hundreds of finely made medallions, all in the image of the Queen of the Kraken. Mark them in memory of me, Drylander. Mark them as the best of those who you have not yet marked yourself. With that, The greatest beast of the deep slipped beneath the waves and was gone. It was on that day that young Bors Bowden was named the premier of the newly formed Order of the Kraken, an order that would forever count those that would stand against impossible odds and still serve with grace, humility, and power, all worthy of one day being a Knight of the Society.